everybody, welcome to Behind the Bar. I'm your host, Danny Johnson, where I interview your favorite dry bar comedians. I'm lucky enough today to have my first repeat guest, as you can see, Marty Simpson on uh, today, his second special. You guys are great. You guys are great. Oh, my God. So great. That's the name of his special. You guys are great. His first one is I Am Coach, which we talked about on your last time here. Uh, watched your second one yes, uh, yesterday, Mr. Fancy Pants in his suit. Um, but yeah, man, it's good to have you back. Yeah, thanks for having me, Danny. I wish uh, I wish we could get down. I wish I could get in the area more often. We could do some shows together. But yeah, yeah, no, I'll do anything you want, anytime you want. Yeah, like uh, I think we talked about last time we, well, when we worked together for Trial by Laughter and be that Comcast NBC thing, you locked your keys in the car and we got to. That's when we got <laughs> to know each other. So it was it was really meant to be, right? It was like yeah, I think that's the recommendation I have for young comics. You're like, what's your best networking tool? I'm like, get a ride somewhere and then. I mean, offer a ride to a comic you want to hang out with and then lock your keys in the car as you're coming out of the place you go to. And then you get a good good afternoon with each other. Right. And now he has to talk to you. <laughs> right. That's how, right. That's how you've gotten all your friends and all your relationships in your life. You've made some disaster happen. And you're like, well, now we're in an elevator. Yeah. Right. That I rigged. They're like, they're like, how did you get Letterman? I'm like, oh, Letterman was in the elevator. And I... um. And he ran out of gas. And so then I put him in the back of my car and then locked my keys in my car. And then we hung out for the afternoon. No. You know <laughs> what I a... noticed about your special um, that I love, that I liked a lot. I liked your first one, obviously, but uh, the second one seemed more conversational. It was very uh, sort of laid backish and yeah, you know, very I... poor, you know, timing and enjoying some of the pauses and stuff like that. It was different. Well, I think the second one, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, I think the second one is probably more accurate to me. And the first one, I was like, let me make sure I do the exact bits that I plan to do uh, versus like, I'm going to just go do 30 minutes, 25 minutes of a great set and hang out with them. But the set, what happened on the second one that really made what you're talking about happen was the first audience, which... I don't know if you remember Marin. Marin is like one of my favorite people out there, Allie and Marin. And um, they were like, this is the first time this has ever happened, really, uh, like like it happened, where the first audience was just horrible. Really? Like, yes. I've, I mean, my I've hosted it twice. So I've uh, advised anybody doing dry bar, if you have a Saturday uh, show, if you offer to host, they'll pay you a tiny little bit of money on Friday night to then host the show and you can introduce everybody, but you get a feel for what's going on. You get, you get to be up on the stage and everything. I just like that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, so I've done two Friday nights hosting. I was actually in town uh, and did a third hosting just as, you know, I was, I was doing a corporate gig and I called Marin and them and I was like, let me host, I'll host for y'all. And I have had, so that's like 10, 12. I mean, I don't even know how many shows, probably 12 dry bar sets maybe. And never had anything but a, fa a fantasy camp audience. Like it's yeah. like, crazy how good the audiences are the later audience is a little old or a little younger so you kind of i like to adjust for that but um so i'm going uh second or third i can't remember what order i went in but i was going late enough in the set in in the order to know this audience is not great and then when i got out there i was like oh it'll be great for me of course right. and then they just weren't they just sat on their hands. I don't know why they wanted to come to a taping. So I was in the middle of my set. Cause then, you know, in your head, you're like, if it goes well, I'm going to do this extra 
joke. And if I, if it doesn't go as well, I might add this piece. Like, you know, you're thinking all these little things beforehand. And in my mind, I was like six minutes in Danny. And I just was like, we're not going to use any of this. This is not going to be used period. Right. Right. So I'm like staring to the void of this nervous awfulness and say the lines as a rehearsal, like you're doing it. I don't even do that at home. I don't do it in front of the mirror. I never like rehearse my lines actually line flying, which is probably why I mess up my lines a lot, but, um, but, and I just knew, so I got off stage. I was furious. My wife had gone with me. I was just like, Oh, this is terrible. Yeah. It's awful. And so what had happened the night before when I hosted is the first comic, um, who can remain nameless at this point had the same experience. And then the second comic murdered, so it wasn't the audience the, the first night. Okay. So in my mind, I was like, oh gosh, I don't want to pull against this third guy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like I, I want another comic to have a great set. But in my mind, I'm like, please be dead for the third comic too. Right. So it's not me. And they were, they just were awful. And to the point where Tess, the director came back there and said, uh, Marty, um, and th- I think they said this to everybody. I'm not trying to make myself special, but they said, if, if the audience, the second audience is like the first audience, we'll have you back. Like we won't, we're not even going to stretch. We're not going to try to edit that. We're not going to try to boost that. We're not going to, we'll just have, we'll just have you back. So don't right. even stress, go out there and kill the second set. If they're terrible, um, we're not going to, we're not going to use it. And, right. and she said, we've never even told anybody that before. And uh, cause it was just so dead. It was like a corporate gig. I was like year two in comedy in my brain right. where it just was like, this is dry bar. Y'all are, y'all know that y'all are on a taping, right? Like this is horrible. And um, so for the second one, I really was just kind of like, all right, man, let's just do a show. Who yeah. cares? Like, this is going to be fun. But my wife did say, and the comic that I was with on the show um, gave me a good word. He was like, you need to close with the drug story. Cause that drug story was brand new, like a month right. old. And that's a terrible idea to do that. And I just, and the dog bit makes me winded the middle chunk makes me really get winded. Like, <laughs> yeah, the roller coaster so, stuff. Well, the roller coaster stuff. Uh, no, I'm talking about when I act out the electrocuted dog. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I get really winded during that. And I always have, and I've always had to like cover for it in a regular set. So I just like, I'll close with that. Right. It'll be funny when I walk run off stage, that'll be a hilarious moment. And I'll close with it. And, um, and in the first show, I closed with it and ran off stage and had to walk back out to silence and be like, thank you. I'm Marty Simpson. <laughs> it was amazing how bad it was. And so I looked at my wife and I was like, I just need to come out blazing and and like set it up the right way and just yeah. not even care about it. So then I'm like winded at the start of that thing. But but yeah, and I had um, the conversational tone is a great note. And I appreciate you saying that because when I worked with Leanne, a few times, Leanne Morgan, and I don't like to drop names, but let's drop Leanne's name because she's the best. Sure. Um, she just is so awesome with the front two rows or the guys that yeah. she like half flirts with, or, you know, she's not right. flirting, but she is flirting with like her nephew kind of thing. And it got me to just deliver a lot of punchlines after I worked with her down to the front row or to, or to say things like, you know, don't do that. And like, I'm talking to someone. So right. it reads a little more conversational and whatnot, which is, I mean, my live set is very conversational and calls back a lot of the crowd work that I do. Yeah, I would love to work with Leanne. She seems like, uh, and I almost did. I, I uh, uh, Karen Mills was was ill. Damn. She was ill, and she texted me, and she's like, "Would you?" I, I she's like, "I'm probably going to do the shows, but if you're available, I think they went with you or Brian or somebody else." Um, 
but yes, her conversation, like it seems like she's in the living room talking to 10 people. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's how she came up, right? You know, she was selling jewelry. um, I had no idea. Multi level marketing. Um, She was in like a, not Amway, but it was like a Mary Kay Amway Mm -hmm. type jewelry business. And her meetings got so packed with people who wanted to be there because of how funny they were. Wow. That she went and did it at the comedy club, I think. And then it sort of took off from there. Yeah. And I like the way in your set too, like it reminds me of watching, um, you know, you know, some of the greats that we watched, we, you know, Bill Burr or Seinfeld or just when you put together, even though it's not an hour, it was a half hour special. Like you're, you plant these seeds, you know, you talk about cocaine actually for a split (laughs) second and then it comes back, you know, it ties, I guess what I'm trying to say is stuff ties in eventually throughout the set. Yeah, and I, that's by I design that. too. Um, I think that the only the only reason people have it is because you decide to have it. So if you don't have it in your act, you just you haven't decided that the that's and I'm not cracking on you. I'm saying it's like right. It's not what I'm trying to say. It's not difficult to do that if you just apply one little principle, which is like mm-hmm. here's a bit that has the punchline mentioned more than once. Let's just tell 20 other minutes between the two halves of that bit. <laughs> right because it's different than a callback it's not the right. same you know a right. callback's just a reference to the previous joke it, it seems like your stuff ties together i loved it a lot well i appreciate that i always call it a callback but i've always um been narcissistic enough to feel like they were just really great <laughs> well <laughs> I, I like what you're saying is they're different it's just a different thing but yeah i think I because understand. like what what i meant like when you talk, when you do the little mention about cocaine and the drug, you know, uh, uh, in the one bit, and then you come back to it, and uh, I was like, oh, that makes more. Now it makes more sense, and it's funnier because you tied it in, right? Like the B plus joke when you hear it the first time, you're like, I wonder why he did that on the special, right? And then eight minutes later, you're like, oh, this makes way more sense now. I like loved my it. Dad, thank you. My dad always called it. And I always remember this when I was little, uh, not little, but you know, watching evening improv when I'm 13 or whatever with my dad, the ones he would fast forward to that weren't dirty enough or whatever. Um, he would say when the comedian gives you a callback or mentions something from before, my dad always said, it's like the comedian thanking you for paying attention. Right. So it's like this as a very Leanne Morgan thing of like, it's like, I'm, I'm being polite and mannerly to the audience is how I, I took it. Like, it's a way to shake their hand without them having to be part of the conversation literally. But Horace Sanders, my original OG mentor said that the conversation with the audience is always happening. Your part of the conversation is the jokes and their part of the conversation is the laughter. And if you're not listening in the conversation, you're being rude Mm -hmm. was just kind of how he taught it to me. And so I feel like another way to make them feel included is to, is to tell them thanks for being here you know, <clears throat> and so a lot of comedians are like, thanks right. for being here, quite literally. But I just feel like <clears throat> it's a way to to say something. But the sometimes I'll write the first joke <clears throat> or the first bit. Sorry, let me get that off camera. You're right. I don't have a cough button. Sorry. The um I mean, I'm always writing the story first. And then I think to myself, what other bits am I already doing or have done or have given up on? Yeah, that could be related to that. And where that comes from is I'm like four years in maybe. And I did the bug, the the bat story that's on the first special. Yeah. And I said, they'll probably go to that house right there that, um, you know, and that was it. 
I thought it was funny enough that we sent the bats to the neighbor's house. <laughs> right, right. But then a guy after the show, one of my brother's friends, who's actually an entertainer, real talented guy, and um, Dave Bushnell is his name, if he ever watches this. I think he follows me, and he, he might get a shout-out. I gave him a special thanks on the special. He said, uh, I thought the bats were going to go to Travis Michael's house. Because I guess 20 minutes earlier, I had told a foul language bit about these kids teaching my <laughs> yep. kids bat foul language. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, they will now for every show for the rest of my career. Yep. But the reality was Travis and Michael were 10 years removed <clears throat> from the bats in, in right. my life. Okay. And so I'm writing all these jokes and everything five years apart, seven years apart. I, I never connected that I said the word neighbors twice or so the, all the audience has is marty his house right. his neighbors well now marty's at his house and has bats in it so it was mm -hmm. like i was spoon feeding it to them that it would go to travis and michael's house i mean i was actually explaining to them that it went to travis and michael's house without knowing it yeah yeah and so i now write i'm like i write this bit and i read the bit and i'm like okay what else do i say that is in any way related to this and then find out whether or not and then you try it and sometimes mm -hmm. there get groans. Sometimes you can force that call back and you get a groan and I don't want right. to groan, but the drug one was really a long time in the making. Like uh, Lee Pitts is my best friend from childhood. He changed his landline. His parents changed his landline. That's why I'm willing to say the real phone number. I okay. say, I say Lee Pitts. Yeah. 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 I was going to ask number. you about that. Uh, yeah. Because they changed their landline. My parents still have their landline. Okay. And he's just a funny friend that I'm, you know, he's one of the groomsmen in my wedding. And he's like, Marty, tell your mom and dad, if I'm ever calling from jail, it's because they're you're the only phone number I know by heart. And I was like, that's the funniest thing yeah. that I've heard in a while. And so for two years, I had this, I can't really make this funny. I, I struggled with like, where are the punchlines in that bit? And then when I almost went to jail this past year, I was like, well, this is, <laughs> this is when I get to use my phone call. And so now that bit's going to be funny. So yeah. I knew I had that. I'm not, I'm, I'm out here calling Miss Pitts. Like I knew I had that because I said that the night of, like, I was like, uh, um, you know, uh, cause I, it, it would have been my parents or my wife that I called obviously, but I'm texting my friend Lee saying like, I think I might need a phone call. This might be the time you would have needed it. And so it became this conversation. And then, you know, six months before that, I had gotten in trouble with the Hampton Inn people for my fiber being all over the place. And the <laughs> cleaning lady thinking I was doing lines of coke in the room, that that had happened. And I couldn't really make that funny either on its own. Right. Um, Because it had some elements to it that were just, you know, she didn't speak English. I didn't want that to be a big deal. And then I, for 10, 15 years, I've been wanting to make fun of my narcolepsy Uh but so many comedians make fun of narcolepsy in a way that's hack. Right. I just didn't want to sign up to be on the list of that, but I really do have it and I really do take it. And so it all kind of came together with that one story where the drug dogs showed up and I was like, well, this is going to have, this is going to have three or four callbacks in it. Like, yeah. It's like finding a piece of the puzzle that you were missing, like in the literal sense, you're like, what, right. what is the, missing a little little of that I, i'm glad i know i now know you have narcolepsy from watching your special i'm glad i chose to <laughs> drove around with you drive around with you <laughs> well i'm always good on my drugs that's you want me to be your driver over your other friends because i have like uh i have dsm5 medicated reasons why i'm not gonna fall asleep when i'm driving <laughs> right right and i don't have cataplexy i don't just like fall over like the goats 
on YouTube right. that are cool and just fall I saw over a video of a dog that just falls over. Which... Yeah, yeah, that's cataplectic. That's a different that's a different diagnosis altogether. And you would have driver elements there that are different. You'd have a different driver's license and whatnot. And um, yeah. oh, this is awesome. My agent's calling me during this call, so I'm gonna um I'm gonna text him and tell him that I'm on I'm live on a podcast. Do I need to like be rude about it or not? Right. <laughs> I like how you opened your special with uh i wrote it down clean family friendly dry bar appropriate child abduction humor that was my dream danny that was i was like i want actually there's a story behind that on the callback too hold on on a live podcast it's not live but it is live right yeah we'll call you back i'm not who's your agent is it an agency or is it a person it's great tim grable oh okay yeah yeah he changed my life man tim grable's the guy i can tell you what he told me when i talked to him uh, what did he tell you? First question he asked. This is a couple of years ago. Uh, how many followers you got? That's funny. I don't have any. I was like, wow. And then he goes, well, I, can... I said, if I'm bad at marketing myself, and he goes, well, if you're bad at it, how can I be good at it? I'm like, I don't know. You're the manager. <laughs> you're the yeah. agent. Yeah, he just the the myth of that is that those guys want incoming calls and they'll yeah. get you more money than you would get yourself. Yeah. yeah. They don't get you more calls really, but he does a little bit for different reasons and different things, but yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm but, not, I'm not digging him in any way. I'm just, I thought it was funny. Like yeah, you know, I'm terrible at something. I'm looking for support and partnership. And he's like, well, I need you to be good at that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll partner yeah. with you. I'm like, oh, what's okay. funny about Tim Grable too, is you have to listen. You have to read his emails and listen to him on the phone as if it's C3PO. And then everything he says is very encouraging and, and very like um, criticism in the right way, because, you know, it's just this AI droid telling you factual things that he believes. But if you listen, sometimes he can just break your spirit with, uh, with the front, <laughs> with the frankness of what, what he says. But when you hang up, I rarely have ever, if ever disagreed with anything that right. he said but it, but in the moment he's just like yeah why does your website say this this and this and this that's just that's that's preventing me from being able to get you booked i'm like oh oh i, I thought that was the cool way to word it like yeah. i'm sorry like <laughs> yeah and, uh, but the reality of tim grable's changing my life two things are involved in that was i did a show leslie norris townsend's clean comedy challenge which yeah. i recommend any young comic go do is fantastic i don't get commission uh for sending people there but i do think that that she cares about people and she cares about the development. And uh, I was on it seven or eight years after that I had won it, which is a, not a, a big deal to win it necessarily. But, and there was 29 comics on the, sh the showcase after the little festival at this one uh, church in Nashville, Grable and his kids and his wife were in the audience. Mm -hmm. And I'd already worked for him like two or three times over four years. It's just like the last minute fill in type thing. And um, so, I mean, he knew who I was. And I was 28 out of 29 comics and 20 of the comics were new clean comedy challenge yeah. comics that were, yeah, they were, some were good. Some were great. Others were not. Right. Right. And, um, and so then now you're two hours and 40 minutes into the show and I do 10 minutes to help close it. And then Joby said murdered after I did. And yeah. I had a good set. I mean, you know, I don't like to be the guy that's like, ah, I crushed, but I had a, a fine set that I was sure. very proud of at the moment for no one going two and a half hours in and his kids, his two daughters loved my stuff and wanted to buy my merch and came over and just wanted to talk to me for like 30 minutes. And then, so it was like that scene in the natural 
yeah. when the lady in black at the start is like looking at the whammer and she's going to murder the whammer. And then, then she's <laughs> like, I'm going to focus on Robert Redford here. It was kind of like Grable right. came probably to see other comics or to see the young talent and everything. And then he was like, Oh yeah. If my teenage daughter's like this, this guy, maybe I can sell him. Right. And then part two of that was Jeff Allen blew back up again. And right. so he priced himself out of a lot of gigs and, you know, getting other people's gigs is a science. Like, yeah. It, like Johnny W gets Tim Hawkins gigs because he sings and he's awesome and he's witty and he, yeah. And, and so, but like, if people already wanted Tim, they're not going to naturally want Marty. Sometimes I would win those gigs, but most of the time I'm not, but if they already wanted Jeff Allen, then uh, Johnny W with a guitar is a natural fit for that. Right. Now Johnny's great and he's going to win that sometimes too. But if you've already decided, I want a conversationalist that makes one of his wife, that's mean, that has like a past that keeps him bitter. Well, like I'm like a miniature version of Jeff Allen sort of in terms of a stylistic, right. you know? And um, so I started getting a lot of that and that was easy for Grable. Like, Hey, if you, you want Jeff and can't afford him, here's this other guy, Marty, boom, we get booked right away. And then like you were alluding to, he doesn't, he just wants to answer the phone and, and have the comic say yes and have the venue say yes and then move on. And, um, and that started happening a lot. And then he really, we got invested with each other because I just love the guy. And then COVID happened and then I did a lot of virtual stuff for him. And so we, we've, we've, you know, we're in it together forever. Uh, I like, man. that's such a funny premise to me that, that agents have that, that roster and that list of like, all right, well, you don't want, uh, you want Dennis Regan and he's whatever this dollar amount and you're like well we have another observational guy who's right. a little he's a little yeah a little less right well and what's funny is it's sort of like the timing of when i blow up needs to happen for grable after he's already courted a, a version of me that'll be cheaper <laughs> like because if i blow up right then then i'm gonna price out the gigs that jeff priced out and that nobody can really do then he's going to lose gigs to other agents who have a similar bidder it's like a inside. minor league system it's like a baseball yeah, minor leagues it is except i mean i think we do better than the minor leagues because i of feel course. like the the trail off that i get from jeff allen probably pays better than the minor league baseball oh guys for sure for sure <laughs> Let, can we go back to you said you had a funny story about the child of jux and or, uh, or yes or well i appreciate you saying this and this is my wife also um uh and even probably Sean Reynolds, who's another. I always word it, Danny, like uh, if yeah. there were a wedding in my comedy career, the gr a groomsman in my comedy career would be people. And so like Johnny W and Sean Reynolds and guys like that are probably groomsmen in my comedy career. Yeah, like Danny Johnson's probably like an usher or maybe like the guy that I invited to the wedding. But like we've had, you know, we've had 15 or 30 hours together. We're like Sean Reynolds and I had 15 hours last week together and we're in a fantasy football league together and everything. So it's like those type of guys. But Sean was always just kind of like, Marty, you know, when you open, he's like, when you open strong, you do better. And, and I tend to open with like observational stuff about the room or whatever, because yeah. we do so much corporate work where they like do this awful, boring thing at 11 a.m. Right. And then at 1130 before lunch, now comedian Marty Simpson, like golf yeah. claps as you walk up in terrible classroom lighting in a conference room, audio's right. coming out of the ceiling. And why they do it that way, I have no idea, because they've paid an outrageous amount of money for right. you to do this terrible set in front of their yeah. people at 11. And you know it's going to be rough. And yes, you can't say you that, know. hey, this is going to be terrible. I do tell them like two months in advance <laughs> on the pre-call. I'm like, your expectation should be here because of your facility. Like, mm -hmm. it will not be my fault. Like, if you 
make it. This is what I've been telling people when I do the pre-call, like Grable's already booked it and I get the pre-call with them. I'm like, all I want is for you to make it my fault if the show is bad. Right. And then when you give negative feedback, we'll read it. But if the audio is bad, the lighting's bad, the setup is bad. Yeah. It, it, it's your fault. Like, right. and you're going to be like, why did we pay that person? I mean, you could bring in Foxworthy and have that same setup and maybe yep. he'll rise above it with some jokes or whatever. A guy with a guitar like Johnny could maybe rise above some of that. But, but I have gotten to the point now where doing it 15 years, I can do great in that environment, but mm -hmm. that environment becomes a character in the show. Yeah. So I wrote these jokes where it's like, I'm not even going to start my set yet. Like, don't email us about that because we haven't, I haven't even started yet. You know, every comedian starts right at the beginning. That's pretty hack and unoriginal. I like to start somewhere in the middle. Right. And we'll get going and you'll be like, I think he started. No, it'll be after that. But before I finish, unless I forget like that kind of, it's a little bit hacky, but it's this device when you don't have an opener, I don't want to do my second best joke at the opening right. of an 1130 in the morning show, because they're going to hate it. They're going to not like your second best show. Right. It's the first thing out of your mouth. Right. And so I wanted, and then, and Sean gave me these, the words of wisdom was like, don't, you know, come out with a great joke for your dry bar special, because what you do live in the room in a corporate thing, isn't going to play on a television set. And, mm. and so the first show I didn't, I didn't do the, the child abduction joke to start with. I put it in the middle and, um, I started with some COVID material or whatever that we, you know, that just some older COVID stuff that I wanted to get rid of so I could do it on the taping. And then when that first audience was bad, my wife looked at me and she was like, you just need to come out with child abduction and just get it over with. And then yep. you'll know, she's like, you'll know whether the second audience is good or not. If they're with you. Yeah, exactly. Like me, that's a joke. That's a hundred percent. Like that joke has never not gotten the laughs where I want it to get. It, right. it occasionally gets the, uh, Lauren Michaels, like, I'm not sure if it's the right laugh, but it's never gotten no laugh. Right. <laughs> right. And so, but the story about that though, is that the callback to that one is the keys kids jokes that I've, that are, is kind of for my first, first special, special. Yeah. But I didn't have the guts in my first dry bar special to do child abduction jokes. Oh, okay. I, Interesting. Cause you watch the video and they're like, no drug reference, no sex reference no abuse reference no i mean they, they outline everything and i'm like i feel like child abduction is all of these things right like literally the list that they say don't have involved in it yeah in my brain i was like it could be argued that any child abduction joke even if it's a parody of a child abduction joke right mine is you know uh and I, so because i i when i do it in my shows i'm like you know that's kind of my thing that's the space i'm working in um, which is also a line Sean Reynolds helped me with. Um, I say, but that's cool. If y'all didn't like that child abduction joke, because I got another one I'll do later in the set. Right. In fact, that's when you know the show is over, when you hear that second child mm -hmm. abduction joke. And of course, with my looking to the side and pausing and living in the awkward right then, everyone thinks I'm just full of myself and joking, right? I mean, they're all like, ah, oh, he's, you know, he doesn't have a second child abduction joke. Or, or they're already with me and now they're looking forward to my second child. Right, 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 right. And so then when I say during Key's Kids, you know, maybe the janitor got them because Key's Kids, for people who don't know my comedy, is like this uh, Zambian woman couldn't find her children. But when she ran in looking for them, she was yelling, where are my kids? Where are my kids? But in her Zambian accent, 
she was saying, where are my keys? Where are my keys? Where are my keys? And I thought she was saying keys. So I look from under desk drawers, you know, in lockers, lock lockers. And then I say, and you know what? During third period, I saw some under these bleachers. Maybe the janitor got them. Maybe he took them home for the weekend. And if he does that, you're probably never going to see him again. (laughs) And it's like, I didn't even know it was a child abduction joke for years. And then I did a, a sex trafficking ministry fundraiser at Arrowhead Stadium. Very elite and awesome event. Like an American Idol singer was like opening. And I was like, this is a big deal. And the lady sat me down like eight minutes before the show. And was like, okay, we just need to go over real quick. Do you have any jokes about this? Do you have any jokes about this? And do you have any jokes that would imply like abduction or anything like that? And I was like, no, what? Wait. <laughs> yeah. I think I totally have a child abduction joke. Like I really have like just a straight up abduction reference. And she's like, yeah, don't do that. Cause there's like 50 survivors here that could be triggered. Yeah. And I was like, Holy cow. So now I'm like eight years into comedy. Like I do a child abduction joke. So then when I wrote the taken joke, I was like, okay, well now, well now based on what we've already talked about at the start of this podcast, I'm like, these two things go together really well. (laughs) So I didn't have the keys kids to do again because I did it on I am coach. So the funny story was I almost didn't do the child abduction joke at all. But then the first audience was so bad. My wife was like, you just need to start with child abduction. Just don't even worry about not having the callback. Just tell it. And just lean into the mic. And then Sean Reynolds texted me when he saw this. He was like, I can't believe you just came out and told jokes. You never start like that. It's great. So I was really sadly proud of myself because I didn't just waller in self-pity to open the show. Yeah. I like actually opened with my second best joke and closed with my best joke. Like you're supposed to I still see comedians like address the fact that the audience is a little stale. I don't, I don't ever, I don't think I ever do that. I think it hurts them. You know, they come out like, Hey, what's going on? What's wrong guys? Let's see a little live, you know? Like, well, at the beginning, meaning you're like, you guys are dead. Like if you say it at the beginning, yeah, I don't, I, my personal philosophy, I think it was Bill Gorgo uh, from Chicago who I met at the clean comedy challenge, who I again, recommend anybody go to um, that taught us like, you can get away with saving your joke by addressing the audience once. But if you say it twice, you risk convincing them that they're, they shouldn't be, yeah. I mean, people, people yeah. might not have laughed at your joke because they didn't hear it or they didn't see it right. They didn't get it. And you tell them, oh, that's your, you'll get that later in the car, which is awful, awful hack thing to say. But if you, if you save it, you get that one laugh with saving, but then now five minutes later, you save it again. They know like this guy has to save his jokes. And then the third time, then you're just telling them you're bad. Yeah. You're um, almost telling them they're right. Yeah, exactly. Laughing. Yeah, exactly. That, which I do the opposite of like when they, when five people clap instead of Odin applause break, that's I like to say you're no you're right you're right to clap there yeah. um everybody else was wrong like the the room was wrong right you four people who clap there y'all are the the right one is your is the is your cardio your um dad telling you to do cardio punchline in the in the child abduction piece no and that's got a funny story too uh I love that well uh Angie Stubbs in Alaska would be very happy you said that because if you look at the special thanks in my special I thanked Angie Stubbs. Uh, in the special thanks randomly amongst three other people and the reason for that is when she first started doing comedy um, at the CC uh, Christian Comedy Association CCA um, her family kind of recruited me to I think they liked my set or something uh, when they saw it and um, and then they just said can Angie send you her material and you like work with her writing some and so for like two years when she started out every couple weeks or months she would just send me a set she did and I would just send back notes 
And so we ended up writing some things together and then she doesn't do comedy as often, but one of her first things that she sent me had her dancing on, on the stage. And of course I wrote like, you don't dance for a minute and a half of your five minute sets just to get a laugh. She was like, but it was killing. I'm like, I know it's killing, right. but you don't, don't, don't get laughed by dancing on stage in general, get laughed by what you say when you get on stage. And, uh, but then her like kind of opener line, she was winded for like the first minute of the thing. And she said, I, my sister gave me some notes on my set. And basically she said the exact joke. And, and, and then we tooled that joke into her set in a way that she could dance sometimes and be winded and everything. And so over the seven years, every now and then when I get winded on stage, you know, you're, you're, you just say that you just say a friend's joke that you help write or whatever, but I've never intended to have it be my joke mm -hmm. um, on, on a special. And then I just was so winded and I hadn't said it out loud in like five years, probably. And then I said it because I just need, I needed to have a laugh happen because I was so winded in the middle yeah. of the job bar. And I thought, well, well, I'll tell them to edit this out, you know? And then I called Angie uh, right after the specials when we got home and I hadn't talked to her probably in a year. She won my fantasy football league with other comedians, like two of the five years we did it. And so uh, I hadn't talked to her in like a year. And, um, and I just said, I got some bad news for you. And, but it's your call. If you want to tell me to edit this out, right. I 100% will. And I'm a stickler. Like I wouldn't ever want to do somebody else's joke, like ever. Like that's just, in my mind, I, I stole it. Even though I helped develop it, it's still like, right. you know, God knows your heart. So I'm, I, I feel like I helped her make her joke better, but it was hers. And she was like, Marty, I haven't done comedy in forever. I don't even care. I'd, I'd love it if it was on there. And so that's why I gave her the special uh, thanks, but it'd be my intention to not keep it in my act forever right. like that, you know, Yeah. but it is just a great line. I mean, it's a great line that she did. So I don't have any pride about that, but if she would have said, Oh, I'm, I'm going to do it. I do that in every show, which I do think she would have been comfortable to say to me. Like of we course. had a, we had a, a pretty intense, like mentoring thing going on where I would give her really hard feedback, which is one reason I kept working with her is because she could just take it she could just take the the tim grable-esque truth and <laughs> so but yeah i love that like of my lines of the 28 minutes like you, you picked out the one that she wrote so that's great that's awesome thanks for that danny yeah i uh <laughs> i like and you dressed up for this special so if you look at your historic uh tracksuit jacket hat yes sneakers you want it with the suit which looks sharp thank you custom and made a hat that's how fancy you're getting marty you got a custom, a custom made, made suit and a custom-made hat. Ooh. And I got the custom-made hat right here. Okay. I'm bald, everybody, if you didn't know that. Don't yeah, you? I don't... I think we're both... We're both... Um, yeah, but friendly. you have a better... You have the better... You have a tattoo. You have the bald. You can shave it all the way bald. This actually matches my little Adidas thing here. This yeah, it does. But so this hat has a story, too. Well, for starters, I've been wearing a suit for two years before the special, kind of. And that's a Grable thing, too. And this is... a. Uh, I wore the tracksuit. I wore the Adidas because I loved it. And Coach Simpson is a character. But honestly, I used to have jokes about this, but they kind of just weaned their way out of my act. But like the joke used to be something like, this is not a costume. This is just what was on top. The uh, You know, talking about the Adidas suit. And uh, and I'd be like, y'all think this is like a big thing that I planned for? This is just a Wednesday to me. Like, And, you know, it was, a, it was just funny to get out. But but the Coach Simpson stuff did work, but then I felt like it narrowed it narrowed the perception of me down a little bit. So if you just see a, a thumbnail on a YouTube video or whatever, right? Like I'm I'm like the Adidas guy, which is fine because I am the Adidas guy, but then I did a few shows 
where, you know, you get hired by a corporation to roast the corporation or to, to host their fake Golden Globe Awards right. or whatever. And they want you to wear a tux. And the shows went great. And then Grable and I were like, man, this is like significantly more zeros at the end of these checks. Yeah. So, and you know, a lot of comedians be like, I'm not going to do corporate work and uh, you're selling out and everything. And I'm like, yeah, I understand where you're coming from, but we say dumb things into a microphone and expect people to pay us for yeah. it. So I don't, I, I just think nothing is precious. Like a writing agent that I went to school with named Andrew Kersey taught me that 15 years ago. He's a good friend of mine growing up in childhood. He's a writer's agent in Hollywood. He's very successful. And he's like, Marty, nothing is precious. Write a script, submit it, get it sold or not, and then write another one. Because yeah. the one that's your baby that you think is precious, nobody cares about. Yeah. Like most likely you're going to sell it. In the scenario where you sell it, it's going to be a page one rewrite. And you're going to get story by. You're not even going to get written by credit, but you're going to get your money for them having bought it. So you got to get out of your head that anything you've done is precious. Not mm -hmm. to mention the fact that I didn't invent coaching comedy. I didn't invent wife comedy. I didn't invent talking about your kids. Yeah. Like I'm just basically doing what Cosby and, did. I mean, celebrities do corporate work, do corporate gigs. So I don't know well, what, yeah, why any, I will, anybody I will complain about that. Yeah, but I will say, like, Foxworthy gets his 50 grand or 100 grand or 300 grand to go do Foxworthy's set. Mm -hmm. And then they're, they're like, they get a brag they had Foxworthy. Right. Like, what I actually am carving out a career to do is, is like, I'm going to go do something that they can't get Foxworthy to do, which is interview their leadership team and then roast their leadership team right. in a way that's not offensive that doesn't use foul language that doesn't get them all fired. Right. And right. so, and that's kind of not been hard for Grable to sell. So, and it's so fun for me because, you know, I got paid $17,500 Danny to teach Christian school for a year. Right. And I got $2,200 to coach the football team on top of that. So right. I made less than $20,000 for 12 months of straight up 90 hours a week. Yeah. Slave labor. And if they want me to do 15 minutes of my material on a Saturday night after Friday, I've spent seven hours in a conference with them hosting these little seminars. Right. And then three hours on Saturday, opening the ceremony and giving out the awards like Billy Crystal or Steve Martin would host the Oscars and wear a tux. Yep. And they want to pay potentially more than the Christian school paid right. for the right. two days. Yeah. I'm going to sell out, Danny. That's what yeah. I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 Of course. Of course. But also to the young comics out there, like I talk down to my audience anyway, like when coach Simpson can insult the audience somehow, not mean, but a little Don Ricklesy. I'm not saying I am as good as Don Rickles. Nobody would say that. He's like the goat, but I do believe that when I'm at my best, I'm a, I'm implying to the audience that I feel like I'm a little better than them. I'm talking down to them a little bit. Right. So roasting a crowd is what I would do anyway. If they, yeah. if they hired me to do my set, eight minutes of my 45 minutes is going to be ad libbing roasting yeah. them. Well, now I just do more of that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's tougher because you, you don't have, you don't have the liberties you would in a, a non-corporate setting, you know what I mean? You, uh, you have to make it tasteful. You can't get up there and be like, you know, you know, the CEO Ted in his third DUI last December. Right. right. Exactly. Like and that know. is because <clears throat> they want that, you know, they want Bill Burr to come in and just rake yeah. him over the coals, but they know they can't do it. Yeah. 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 
And so what we sell is sort of like Marty's MO. And this is truly how I feel in my heart is I want the people leaving thinking, oh, I wish he would have made fun of our table. Right. Not leaving thinking, I'm so glad he didn't make fun of our table. Yes, that's and great. If you, yeah, if you come at it from that angle, then what you're trying to think of making fun of is the is the true roast. Like, like I'm not making fun of the DUI. I'm, you know, I'll, I'll, if a guy had three DUIs, I might be like, uh, where are we going after? I guess I need to drive table two, right. you know, and then, and then be like, oh, but y'all don't know about that. Okay. Well, if you don't know about that, you're not going to learn it from me. Right. You know, and then go back to table two and be like, you're welcome. You know, and I mean that it just, it's totally different than just David Tell yeah. or Jeff Ross just explaining that this guy has a DUI or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But most, if it's a DUI, they wouldn't have told me that. Cause what I do is I ask the people, send me a list of all the people you want me to make fun of and send me the things that should be said about them. Mm -hmm. And 90% of the time, it's just having the balls to say the things they told you to say. Yeah. Do you, do you have notes when you do that or do you um, have a to lot of times? Yeah. A lot of times kind of like Geraldo would have notes at the roast and he'd have yeah. his white paper. It's a little charming actually sometimes. Yeah. Um, um, but I, then, but yeah, but the most things you're doing at a corporate event though, and Grable would back this up. The most important thing you're doing at a corporate event is showing up on time, not getting high, not getting drunk and not partying with the people after in such a way that's embarrassing. Yeah. And so being funny at a corporate event is like ninth on the HR person who hired you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, you show up on time. They're like, okay, comedians here. Cause the other 4,000 things that they're doing that day, they don't have to worry about the comedian being here. Yeah. And then is the comedian going to be offensive? No, you're a wild, you're the wild card in their exactly. playbook. Yeah. And also, you know, like as a 52 year old and Danny, however old you are, like we're past our prime in terms of being famous and like, we're not Taylor Tomlinson. We're not, we're not a young person getting a show. Right. So that ship has sailed for me. And so when I go to the comedy club, I'm a novelty to like, if I open for Joe Zimmerman, Joe Zimmerman and I have drinks after, and he's like, man, you're, you're really great. And I'm like, man, thank you, Joe. That's awesome. And then he, we play golf and he's a scratch golfer and he's amazing, yeah. but he's young enough to where Joe's going to have a show. Like Joe's a genius. And, but if I go to a corporate event and 400 dentists who make $500,000 a year, spend two hours after the event pouring on me compliments, mm -hmm. you kind of feel like that celebrity. Right. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a sellout in a way, but it it's, it's not the worst. I think it's just making a living, a good living. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think that when people, you talk to the young comics who are getting bitter about the grind and then you get the text, like, how do I get some of that corporate money? I'm like, yeah, you wear a suit for two years. So all of your videos have you in a suit. You know, are you willing to do 9 a.m. comedy? Like, because a lot of corporate comedy is 9 a.m. comedy. You just like, have to think that the, the place of business, because of fear of lawsuits and offend, that you have to be non-offensive and funny. Right. Just don't. Right. It, Which a lot of people. Now, there is corporate work that you get hired and you're allowed to be offensive. Sure. And I get that work and I go do my thing. And they don't care that I wasn't offensive. Yeah. Even, a lot of times that's notice. off site, like off, you know, if it's not at the facility, it's like in a mm -hmm. ball, you know, not a ballroom, but it's some, someplace outside of the business wall. Right. Yeah. And I just, I'm not funny. I don't, I don't think I'm funny if I were filthy. Like, I just don't think it's authentic. 